It's Thursday, July 25th, 2013, and you are listening to Fuel for Educational Change Agents. This is a presentation shared uh, last week on Friday, the 19th of July, 2013, in Wichita, Kansas, by Connor Jansen and Ben Honeycutt, two of the founders of the Open World Project, which you can find at openworldcause.com. And I'll include in the show notes a link to some visual notes that I made from their presentation. And I will just not not give you any more introduction than that. I will just say that I I arrived a few minutes after they started, um, but I think you're going to be able to get the bulk of the presentation. And this is an awesome project, a fantastic initiative. And I really encourage you to not only listen to the podcast and share it, but also visit them at openworldcause.com. They've also got their um, social media links, including their Twitter account, which is just Open World Cause. So without further ado, we'll go back to last week on July the 19th, 2013, Wichita, Kansas, at the Podstock Conference. Time doing Podstock last year. We came and we got to tell our story to everyone, and it, it was a brilliant experience. We got to speak to so many great educators, people who we really admire. Some of them are here today. We see some new faces today as well. I just want to take a short moment and introduce everyone who's involved in our presentation today. Um, as Dave Jordan said, I'm Connor Jansen, and this has been Honeycutt. But we've also got some other people who are behind the scenes. Nikki Richardson, if she could stand up, has been involved in the cause for the last year and has been an integral part of doing everything that basically makes things run while we're at KU. She does all the groundwork because Ben and I are not good at that. (laughs) Maggie, if she could stand up real quick as well, has become involved lately with the cause and has been a tremendous piece of support and has also been uh, taking control of our Twitter lately, so we're always trying new things and trying to hand things off that we just can't handle anymore. It shouldn't come as a surprise, but in one week, what she has done with our Twitter is vastly superior to what we've done in two and a half years. So that's <laughs> off to Maggie. Experimentation, right? Um, and last but not least, as Sean Gormley is here today, he drove up here last minute to get this on film, so we just really want to thank him for doing that and uh, being a part of what we're presenting to you all today. So without further ado, I'd like to get started. Our uh, presentation is very informational, but we hope it won't be too boring for you. We've just got a lot to cover. Um, We see education as a revolution. We don't believe that education all at once stopped being revolutionary, that the things that we learned in school would stop mattering, but we feel like there are some things going on in the world today that aren't as savory as we would like them to be, that aren't as progressive as we would like them to be, and we feel like we have some ideas to share with you today. But let's take a step back. I want to introduce, basically, Ben Honeycutt, and he's going to tell you a little bit about who we are. Okay, so Connor and I met when we were five years old, and like almost all best friends, best friends forever, you know, that, you know, we hated each other right away. Um, We got into fights about absolutely everything, and every fight, too, and I was born a week before him, so, huh? And uh, every single fight would end that way, and the worst one we got into, our kindergarten teacher had to separate us here, Connor informed me he was going to the city office and legally having his birthday changed to a week before mine. He still pulls that one out from time to time, I'm pretty sure you can't do that. Uh, hope not. Someone's least tell them that that's okay. That I can. <laughs> anyway, so we really hated each other, but like, what's so beautiful about the time in kindergarten is that we shared one ride on the state fair, and after that ride, we were best friends forever because eh, it was fun ride. So BFFs for life. We thought about actually pulling out what we wore to get last night at prom sock, but we didn't want to be too classy about this, you know. Yeah. So. You so, my, I'm, I'm actually majoring in secondary history, but minoring in English. Um, I have a huge passion for writing. I'm currently writing a novel which is centered around the um, anti-bullying issue. That's something that I feel is really integral to who I am and has defined who I am. Um, and basically, I wouldn't be where I am today without my wonderful parents. Um, some, a few of you in here may know, I'm, I'm, have, I'm 
uh, the son of speaker uh, Kevin Honeycutt. If you, anyways, uh, he's up there. Like, yeah. 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 A few people might know him. I don't know. Uh, and also the son of Michelle Honeycutt too. Um, it might come as a surprise to all of you, but I was raised in a really stern environment. I'm sure, as you guys can see here, my parents right here. Um, essentially, uh, my mother or my father taught me how to dream. And my mother taught me everything else, so... <laughs> I'm sure all of, your pa- all of you parents in here might know how that works. Um, basically, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be the person who I am today without my parents. Um, thank you guys so much for putting up with me through those teenage years. I'm sure they were a little rough. Alright, so this is called Connor in a Can, conveniently condensed. Um, as you can see, my dad's haircut when I was two weeks old greatly resembles what I was wearing last night, so I'd like to consider that an homage to him. Um, basically, as I grew up, I, I grew up in the country, I grew up in, you know, a lot of different ways, but my parents were always by my side, so that's why I include this picture, because... Um, you know, they've always been there for me, and like Ben, I wouldn't be the person I am today without their guidance. Um, likewise, I have some very special people in my life, and most of them are here today uh, as well. So I just feel really lucky, to be honest, but, you know, what I'm doing at KU has really opened me up to a lot of new people, so I've learned to adapt to a lot of different social situations. Uh, there in my studio photo, it's the fifth picture. It's kind of apparent that we all got a little crazy and I made a lot of friends that I didn't think I would make. And the only reason I say this is because I was always sort of an inward person. And so the last few years have been really big for me. I, Like uh, Gay said, I'm mastering in architecture at the University of Kansas and don't worry, I don't care about the rivalry between KU and K-State. Most schools are awesome. So what I want to get into is a little bit of what we'll be discussing today, because if some of you know who we are, we're going to be telling a little bit of our story again, but this is going to be the main focus for our presentation. We believe that with a snapshot of education today, you can look at what students are learning in 21st century schools and see some inherent problems with it. And basically those problems aren't because of a lack of effort by teachers. We wouldn't be where we are today without our teachers. We just believe that there are some things that can change that can really improve what kind of learning happens in the classroom. And we believe we can create a better mentality about that learning. We feel that the system currently in place is currently catered to prepare students to be amazing test takers, but may have a few shortcomings on when it involves preparing students for the realities of, 21st, of the 21st century. So what we're going to do right now is reintroduce the story. For anyone unfamiliar with the open world cause, uh, if you have any more questions for us at the end, we would love to answer them. But take it away, Ben. Okay, who in here is involved or teaches high school seniors? Okay, so you're all very aware that all of us are really filled with ambition that last year and really go-getters, right? Well, I was exactly the same way. I intended to do absolutely nothing my senior year and basically fill myself with no responsibilities and no commitments. It really sounded like a great plan. So naturally, when I arrived 30 minutes late to the first day of school, um, I caught the middle of a presentation where our senior legacy leader was challenging us to create a legacy that could be followed by future generations. And I heard that and it begrudgingly inspired me. And I was like, oh, well, okay. So I went to my father. I was like, Dad, do you have any ideas for, like, high school legacy? And he was like, well, son, I have about two or three. You know, what do you want to hear? <laughs> so, um, so he connected me with the teacher uh, from Bagatory, Nepal, a really rural and isolated area of Nepal, who didn't have electricity in his school, didn't have running water in his school, and had to walk an hour and a half just to get internet from an internet cafe. So as the next year progressed, we created a goal, and we called ourselves the Open World Project, and we had a mission to bring laptops and internet access to the SAS school. I wasn't exactly involved from the beginning. Ben and I were doing two different projects during our senior year, and mine was completely out of this ballpark. But I was always always sort of indirectly involved. I mean, remember BFS for life. I was always around Ben. So, I mean, there was no real reason for me to not know what was going on. And to make a long story short, I spent so much time on the sideline that I inevitably became inspired to join. But there was a really, really infamous setback early on 
And we like to call this the battle of students versus teachers, in which we decided that it would be great to argue for an entire day whether or not it would be better to go to businesses in t-shirts as high schoolers looking for support, or in suits as businessmen looking to make a change. Literally, it was whether we wear suits or t-shirts. That was the whole fight. Our assistant principal found us in the hallway and was and asked, what are you fighting about? Because like, apparently our voices were carrying it. And we were like, we can't decide whether to wear suits or t-shirts today. <laughs> she was like, are you serious? That's it? And so, naturally, we thought maybe working together this close capacity. Let me just say, that fight lasted for three days, and we didn't talk for those three days. And I honestly considered leaving the project altogether. And while it's kind of humorous, there's a real reason for that. I wondered if we could actually work together in a real setting where real progress was taking place. So I actually did consider leaving altogether. But much like kindergarten, I wore them down. And <laughs> you said you wouldn't say that. We, we pretty much did. <laughs> <laughs> we pretty much fight the same way now, to be completely honest, but we make it worse. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, uh, as the project progressed, he I got him on board, and we eventually raised five thousand seven hundred dollars for what was initially a two thousand dollar goal. And on April 3rd, 2011, we had our first successful Skype call with the staff school, and got to actually see the students for the first time. why this Skype call is so important. And it's not really because we have the technology in front of us to do it. It was because it created an opportunity for us to communicate with students halfway across the world. And while that wouldn't be possible without the technology, what it inspired us to do was basically what brings us here today. Fast forward two years, we're now a student organization at the University of Kansas. We're working on creating a better ground movement where we have more awareness and basically an army of students who are trying to spread awareness about this cause. And we also have a new mission. Our mission goes beyond bringing internet and laptops to the SAD school. It goes beyond just building a library. We realized those were great things, but what if they didn't have a school? This was a real problem that we encountered after we had completed our initial goals. So it was just one of those things where you had to really go inside of yourself and ask what more could we do to help these students and make sure that we left an actual legacy and not just a temporary fix. Uh, probably the biggest thing on our plate right now that we're working on at KU is we're working with multiple professors on establishing a travel abroad program so that we can travel to the school. We're hoping spring of 2015 is when we can first do that. So. Okay, so as um, when we were finished with the project, there was a lot of criticism that we faced throughout its initial run, throughout phase one when we were in high school. And it was really, you can kind of see it, if you looked at our first Cake News video that we did online, you know, you can leave comments online. And people, as you know, are always very, very genuine and, and nice and, you know, on, online when they're putting in their two cents about a situation. But the first four comments on the video was that we need to be helping schools in the United States. Uh, and they kind of peppered in a few extra little words and adjectives there. But, you know, we won't get into those. But we heard that criticism and we realized it was actually a very, very legitimate concern. Uh, there are schools in the U.S. that need help. There are classrooms in the U.S. that need help. So we decided, you know what, let's, let's find a way to actually send a, a hand to U.S. classrooms. And we realized from what we did with this project, maybe we could actually continue this project at Bueller High School and keep Bueller High School partnered with the SAS school. But unfortunately, we had a really hard time. Um, as it turns out, the senior officers the next year, um, all of them were very committed and, um, you know, to, to doing something like Open World, but none of them had time 
And it made us question why more people weren't, why more students, why more high school students. We reached out to other high schools too. We were wondering why more of them weren't willing to get involved. And we found that actually for students, oh, well, we found actually that for students who were wanting to get involved with the cause, they really didn't have any idea what we were trying to do. And so we started to consider some of the stresses that go into running a cause like this and why there might be some real apprehension for anyone who wanted to join. Basically, it makes absolutely no sense for a high school senior to take on a project like this at the, at the present time. Um, in my situation, you know, I had debate and forensics. Uh, I had uh, AP English, AP government class. I was taking a college class that year, too. And also, I was applying for... Uh, applying for colleges all around the United States. The time for this wasn't exactly there, and it wasn't, uh, even though I was taking on a project that was introduced by my high school, it wasn't, um, uh, it wasn't exactly in the high school curriculum. And I ran into a few struggles here, and it made me under, really appreciate why more students aren't willing to do this. It really, it pains me to say this with my mom in the room to this day, but I got my first D ever while I was in a senior, uh, senior high school. Also uh, got my second D ever too. Um, <laughs> it, it was not an easy time, and um, it was really tough because some teachers, while most of my teachers were very supportive and extended my deadlines, this wasn't true for every teacher. Um, I had one teacher in particular. Um, I even though you know I was creating um, a web design, I created a website, I created multimedia. I was in charge of all the videos we created. Um, one, we had a website. We had a website design uh, element to one of my classes that we had to create this website, and um, we were using uh, Dreamweaver. You know, so I figured, you know, what I would, what I figured what I had used, I created the open world website. I figured, you know, I this would be able to work uh, for for this particular credit. And I turned it in, and it was right on the eve of state debate and forensics. And when I got back, uh, he, I checked power school, and he had failed me. And I went in, and I questioned. I was like, you know, I feel like I've created my own website. And he was like, the assignment was Dreamweaver. You didn't use Dreamweaver. And, <laughs> I, um, and I realized, in the curriculum, he was fully within his rights to do that. That's what the reality was. And that's why it's very hard for more students to get involved with this, and why it's it's tough to balance everything in a high school and yet run a project like this at the same time. And the real experience here is that there are students who still feel like school gets in the way of their education. There are still students who feel like they're not able to exercise everything that they want to do in the classroom. And it's not due to the teachers or anything like that. It's because there are standards being set out there because of the system that we have right now that encourage an easy A or the grade of an A over actual learning from real experience and an open world's experience, we really had to make choices about where we spend our time and what that would trade off with. And we just don't believe that that should, real, that that should really have to be a consideration that, that students have to make because shouldn't projects that cause real learning and real experience be given the time of day? And that's sort of how we began to feel as the, as the year wore on. And Unfortunately, looking at this, um, it was tough because my GPA fell fell below a certain parameter that KU considered, which stopped me from getting $2,000 in available scholarships that I could have received had my grades been better senior year. But in spite of that, in spite of what I gave up, open world mattered. I look back at what I did in high school, and this was one of the most important, if not the most important thing I've ever done in high school, maybe the most important thing I've ever done in my life. So... What, um, you know, um, and, it, and this has actually been seen in more ways than just how this has affected me, like, emotionally. Uh, when I got to KU, I was applying for jobs. I realized, you know, I really needed a job. I was, in, uh, another, um, I was encouraged by my parents there that I probably had to do a little something for myself to get by. And so I applied for this video editing position at KU. And I, I realized, you know, I created videos for Open World. I didn't put much stock into it. I wasn't a film major. All I did was that I sent in the videos I had created for Open World as my resume. I got hired on the spot just from what I did with the Open World project, just from the skills that I learned through Open World. I got a job right away when I entered KU. Uh, the real surprising thing is, is that sometimes it's almost easy to ignore when real-world learning takes place, especially as a student. You don't realize that you're learning when you enjoy and care about what you do, and that's sort of the gist of what we became so fascinated with. We became fascinated with the fact that we spent so much time and effort on this project and gained so many skills in that period of time. 
basically uh, what it led to, like Ben said, he was able to get a job right at the advent of his college career without even having to worry about that scramble where you don't have any money. I mean, that was a great opportunity for him to apply the actual skills that he attained. In my experience, I sort of had some experience before developing some websites and doing some social media stuff. But until that point, I hadn't really had to exercise those skills that I had developed early on in my life in a real way, in a a way that required some actual application. (laughs) And one day I just thought, you know, I have some skills that I developed from making the Open World website and working for uh, Kevin Honeycutt as a social media manager. I mean, he was gracious enough to sort of take me under his wing and let me do some of those things. And so I thought, I could offer something. I could start a business. And that's exactly what I've been trying to do. I've been trying to develop websites for the last year, and it's a huge learning process. But where it all started was the Open World Project. And I wouldn't be able to do that. Don't let him be modest about this. He's been paying for his rent every month from the websites he's been creating for companies. This is something he's been able to do directly from his experience creating Open World's website. This is huge, and it shows that there were real-world benefits to what he did with Open World that went beyond the borders of high school. And the long-term benefits were real. The long-term benefits were things that we, again, didn't even realize that would exist today. And so we are going to get into kind of a tired topic right now, digital legacies and being safe online. But we feel that we have a kind of unique experience, and the beginning of Open World is a perfect example of that. Okay, so I was your typical high school senior when it came to what I did online. And I think the best example for this is my participation on a certain Chiefs form. I'm, I'm a huge Chiefs fan. I, I, it's more of a curse, really, than anything. It's, it's so, so tough. And I don't know why I expect any different, to be honest. They're ahead by two touchdowns, fourth quarter, four minutes left. They're still going to lose. It's going to happen in the worst way possible. And something I'll have to rewatch in my head over and over for years down the line. But yet, I still love them. However, I exercise a lot of my frustrations on a, on a certain form and uh, on a certain website. And I... You know, I realized right away, you know, when I when I started Open World, I, I realized that I, I couldn't really make Facebook statuses anymore where I was, uh, you know, uh, saying blah, 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 you know, Matt Cass, blah, 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 you know. And I, I realized, you know, I really had to figure out, you know, that I had to, be, to have a professional image when I was online. Unfortunately, I realized that on the Chiefs form, I told a really unfortunate joke on the forum, which could kind of jeopardize things for a long time. And this is the type of parents, you'd be familiar with this type of joke. It's the type of joke when you walk in to your kids, your kid could be around a bunch of friends, uh, the room goes silent right away when you walk in. It was one of those types of jokes. And I had to beg the moderators of that forum that please take this down. You know, I'm doing something really important now. I can't, I can't let a certain joke, a really dumb joke, jeopardize the future of students all around, like halfway around the world. You know, this was more important than my reputation. This was, uh, this could hinge on the success or failure of a project halfway around the world that could help countless amounts of students over the next few years. Luckily, he took it down, and I realized because of this project, I had to get serious in a huge way. Um, In my experience, I spent some time listening to music, which I still listen to today, that most people don't listen to and has some lyrical content that people probably wouldn't be very happy about. And it's not because I'm into really, like, raunchy or explicit stuff or anything like that. It just happens to have instrumental qualities that I really like. But I thought it would be smart to post some of these lyrics early on in my Facebook career. And when I looked back at those, I was like, man, if people saw these, they would think I was like a serial killer or something. (laughs) So I really had to take a step back and look at myself and change the way that I conducted how I was represented online. And it wasn't just, you know, representing myself. I didn't even think of it that way. I thought... I'm trying to help kids halfway across the world, and I'm making these statuses. I felt a little insane, really. And so I began thinking about the fact that if we're going to expose ourselves online, why are we doing it in more productive ways? And why are we introducing these concepts in the classroom when an unmonitored digital highway can be so dangerous? When we went back and realized the potential of using something like Open World as a curriculum, 
we realized not only would this have entrepreneurial benefits, uh, such as in Connor's case with James and Web Dynamics, his company, but it could also allow students to really start caring about their digital legacy. Um, right now, kids uh, are going, we like to say, are actually going through puberty online, which is a very dangerous thing. Puberty is already really dangerous. Like, it's like, you know, just think of explosions, you know, disasters, catastrophes, all those things. That, that's puberty right there. And going through that online is particularly dangerous. Um, you don't want to start out driver's ed by giving a student the keys to a V8, walking away, and saying, hey, go have fun, drag races are at seven, go wild. And if students learn that way, why would they have any respect whatsoever for the laws when that's how they're starting out? Uh, the potential danger with, uh, with uh, teenagers right now when they're building their uh, image online is that the decisions that they're making at 14 could ruin the decisions they're trying to make at 24, which is a very legitimate concern. Something that we thought of when we were putting this together especially was that if we're going to spend so much time online as a generation and ourselves who have grown up with the internet, there's a generation underneath us who has never not known the internet. And as they come up in the world and we see the mistakes that we made and frankly some of the mistakes that the people around us made, we didn't feel like we were bringing people into a safe environment for creating good personal habits online. And so we began to consider some workplace realities. And we also began to consider the fact that there are some real challenges when it comes to holding back some of the things that you say online. Sometimes it's just not worth it. It's, it's tough. We had a, we had a friend who, um, he's, he has it really together. He's actually, he was in the School of Education, he is in the School of Education at KU and is about to graduate this summer. And he is the most together guy in the entire world, who has it way more together than we do. And however, he would still use Twitter as a means to vent his personal frustrations about the world. And, you know, using very colorful language as well. You know, this is a guy who's months away from applying for his first teaching position. And he's using Twitter, you know, for this means. And he was actually called by his advisor two months ago and said, if you want a chance at a job, you need to clean up your image on Twitter. This example really shook us because it showed that even individuals, even students who, have, who are responsible, who have determination, who have ambition and want to do something with the world, are still use, are expressing these bad habits online which could completely jeopardize their future. And something else to consider is as we begin our online careers at whatever age, we develop habits in certain networks. And those habits expand across every other network. Something that's interesting right now is that Facebook and Twitter don't really matter to teenagers. It's, uh, it's, it's moving forward. I mean, there are certain trends that are going on with social networks like uh, Vine or Instagram where teachers and parents aren't really occupying yet. Some are. I'm not, I'm not saying you're not up with the trends, but kids want to feel like their online presence is a private entity. And as soon as people start infiltrating that, they move on to the next best thing. So how can we start creating habits in a network that don't transfer every single time they want a new outlet for their emotions? So we started to consider, what does it mean to have Digital Legacy 101 in the classroom? We began to ask, why isn't this a class? Who's setting the example? Athletes, parents, even teachers, there are people out there who are setting a either good or bad example for the students and the children who are using social media today. And we thought, why don't we start directing some of the use, and not by doing a lecture, but by providing them with unique learning opportunities that make them want to care about the things that they post online. We probably wouldn't have listened if it was shoved down our throats, but we suddenly had to care because we wanted to help kids halfway across the world. And it became real to us without force, really. And essentially, the, da the danger right now is that when kids wreck on the digital highway, when they total themselves on the digital highway, they don't realize that they've wrecked until years down the line. Uh, so essentially what a class like this could do is that no matter what, no matter what the kids are doing these days, we're going to, maybe we'll have that responsibility or that consciousness that they need to be responsible when they're online so that they don't do something that they can't undo, especially when they, um, you know, especially when it matters the most. You know, even though they think that right now what they're doing doesn't matter, there is a day where it definitely will.
exactly. And we think this is just one small aspect of a much bigger curriculum idea, which we'd like to introduce now. And bear in mind, this is totally experimental for us. We're not teachers, and we're not going to try to pretend that we are. We know that there are real struggles with trying to implement these uh, new ideas and things. I mean, we know today that innovations classes are taking place and things are going on in the social media world where we're actually seeing these things integrated into the classroom, but it's not happening on a large enough scale yet, and so we feel like we have some ideas to share in that regard. And what we want to focus on is transitioning this mindset from student-led to curriculum-based. Why isn't this something that's integrated into the curriculum itself? Why aren't students motivated just by nature of what the curriculum does? And creating experiential learning in that nature is basically the thing that we began to focus on when we thought of building this curriculum. We knew that there were chances for entrepreneurship. Heck, developing a business model, I'm still really bad at it, but I learned so much from the Open World Project in high school that I surely wouldn't be where I am today without some of those skill sets. And Ben learned about digital legacy even more than I did because he had to request that something be taken down. So these are all just ideas, and we ask you to bear with us as we uh, present those to you today. Over the past year, we built a major partnership with Kim Heron. I believe she's in here today. Uh, she can stand up if she wants. She's pretty awesome. Her sixth grade class. Uh, last year we met her at Podstock and we knew, um, we essentially knew that her students had uh, had used Google SketchUp in the past, but that had been uh, an important part of her curriculum. And we thought maybe there was a way that we could partner these students in the staff school with the students in her sixth grade classroom because Govinda had always wanted to see 3D online models of the dream schools that his kids were drawing. Exactly. And we knew there were some plans in preparation that had to take place. We had to collaborate with Kim numerous times over Skype. There were some late nights trying to figure out how we were going to get it to work with her semester schedule. We know that there are restrictions and limitations that existed previous to what we were trying to do. And it was really important for us to start considering the ways in which we could at least try this and know whether or not it would work. So we began to think of ways in which that we could test the curriculum and ways in which we can consider the teacher's perspective and the student's perspective. So was, this was a big deal. We actually, she invited us out to our, her classroom to talk with our students. And we were really nervous about this. We hadn't talked to this age group before. And I remember what I was like in sixth grade. I think my biggest interests were the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, Green Day and Chef Guaraní <laughs> Ravioli. That was about the three things that really kind of drove me, you know. And I had a, I was actually concerned that this really wouldn't resonate with their students whatsoever, but it really did. Uh, uh, half of her class stayed after school to talk with us about these ideas, and um, really, you could just feel the passion in the air that they wanted to make a difference for these students. And we could tell we had started something pretty momentous here. It wasn't that we were worried that it wouldn't work out. We were kind of worried that the students just wouldn't be interested. And so being able to test that engagement wasn't just about whether or not the curriculum would work. It was about whether or not those students would actually be able to care about this project. And we never underestimated them. But again, we imagined what we were like as sixth graders. And we feel like they're way ahead of where we were. They were I, I made a stupid assumption, actually. I walked into that classroom and I said, I don't know if you guys are creating websites. And they had already created like five that year. And so I had put myself in their position and considered where I was during sixth grade. And they're clearly much further ahead than I was. And so we just really felt the need to consider whether or not the student engagement level would be enough for us to pursue a project like this. So what the students ended up doing was that they took the staff school design and created 3D models of these designs. These designs ended up allowing them to get third place at uh, the KSTL conference held at Kansas State University. And it, you can tell how much this really affected the students involved in the project here. And this, I think we have a video. Yeah. And another thing to point out is that this is something that made the quiet kids talk. We had kids raising their hands who had never really participated as much as they had before that day, or uh, had never really participated as much before. So it was just a really moving moment more than anything. Um, okay. And this is just a short interview with one of the students when they did their expo explaining the cause. Okay. 
question, why open world? Why this? Why does this matter to you? Why did you want to do this? Something that we realized early on was that they completely understood the circumstance. Um, they understood that this was a very sensitive issue, and they understood that they really cared about giving students in a completely different region of the world a chance to attend a school. And there was something about seeing that drive and that inspiration in their eyes that really made us feel really confident about, uh, about the curriculum ideas that we had. Uh, these students actually, they wanted to create a self-sustainable school, so they went out to Greensburg, Kansas. Uh, everyone, I think, is familiar with what happened in Greensburg with the tornado, which destroyed the entire city. But what happened after that is they built renew uh, structures which were completely self-sustainable through the use of renewable energy. These students traveled out there to see what part of these designs they could incorporate to their designs of the SAS school. And they ended up printing out 3D models of these designs, which they're planning to send physically to the SAS school. And the SAS school has already talked about using that as the basis for uh, the architectural design once we raise the money for them to build a new school. They want to dedicate actually the name of their sixth grade classroom after Kim Heron's classroom this year. The, the fact that sixth graders here in the United States were able to do this for students halfway around the world shows the potential for curriculums of this nature. Uh, these students, they weren't thinking about, you know, furthering, they weren't thinking about furthering themselves or thinking about potential job opportunities. They're thinking about, you know, we've heard Nathan, they just wanted to help these kids. Um, you know, another thing, that, and this is sort of in reference to something we said earlier, we tried early on to address the concerns of why we weren't helping schools in the United States. And the real reason was is that we just really wanted to create an opportunity domestically and internationally, and we just didn't know how to start. We felt pretty lost, to be honest. So we felt like the first step was just trying this out. We felt like the first step was taking a risk and seeing if students in the United States could collaborate with this classroom, and um, technology allowed us to do that. And so we just feel like that while this may not be an entire curriculum, well, I mean, let's be honest, it's super easy to do something like this, right? Uh, as teachers, I mean, according to the major news networks, apparently teachers don't have much to do, right? I mean, it's not like you have huge responsibilities, right? Yeah, that's, that's about right. No, teaching is incredibly difficult. And that's why to, to, to pull off a project of this magnitude is going to require a lot of help along the way. So on that note, we're going to introduce you to the tools we wish we knew about while we were completing a project. Like, well, actually, we want to talk about something else first. Um, we ran into some struggles early on with uh, the introduction of the curriculum in the classroom. And this is just very basic. There were snow days. There were other extracurricular activities. There were state testing exams. There were other exams that were going on. And it's all about making time and ensuring that you can fit the content in. So we realized that there are some limitations and that this wouldn't just be an easy push. And that allows us to get into some of the tools that we were hoping that we had, but just didn't know where to look. Um, what I want to talk about basically is we know that there are so many apps out there that can help learning occur in the classroom, but sometimes it's really difficult to narrow some of those apps down. Is anyone here aware of Trello? Has anyone used Trello before? All right. One person. One person. All right. Let us give you the keys to academic luxury right here. Okay, maybe not, but it's a good step in the right direction. <laughs> we feel like it's a little bit different than something like Evernote because it allows you to create a real collaboration. There are members of the group. People can correspond by leaving comments. There are... Uh, uh, organizations such as dates when certain aspects of the project might need to be due, who's doing what specifically, where those actions need to take place, and what's already been completed. And that's just touching the surface. They can upload attachments, they can correspond with each other even when they're not at school. This is just something that came out of a need that we saw in students who were wanting to work outside of the classroom. Kim told us that her students were trying to get together outside of class and trying to work together. They're even continuing to work through this summer. So we thought, why not introduce an application that we didn't even know about, something that would have helped us tremendously. 
obviously. Um, and we really believe that there are more applications out there. And when we stumbled upon another resource that I want to share with you as well, uh, we were kind of taken aback. Does anyone here know about graphite.org? One person again? Cool. Well, basically, we'd like to make this more well-known. There's a website out there, again, called graphite.org that allows you to go through a laundry list of different apps, but it's not all disorganized and it's not cluttered. It shows you what grade level they're appropriate for, whether they're free or you have to pay for them. It shows you how much learning typically occurs with that app and how much the teachers enjoy using that application. This is something that we wish we would have integrated early on in our project because we would have been able to help our uh, the senior legacy officers and the person who was in charge of the entire project. Uh, he was constantly trying to come up with new ways for us to innovate and explore our options, and we simply didn't have a tool like this at that point. And so, and being able to share that today, this is something that we wish we would have had, and we think it's something really unique. And we know there are more resources out there that are like this that can help expand the potential. Um, just to be honest, though, Graphite and Trello are a little pricey. How much? Free. Okay, so yeah. <laughs> um, get, get on those today. That's, uh, we've, already, we've already started trying to incorporate those into our classroom curriculum that we're hoping to have on our website. Here. And if you have feedback about these apps and resources, again, the opening the world hashtag, if you have anything to say about these, feel free to drop that on our Twitter because we'd love to read about it. Okay, so now I'm going to talk about a little bit of my area. I talked about learning some web skills and trying to do some web development in high school, and honestly, it didn't go that well. But I had some tools at my disposal that I used then and that I'm still using today that have helped me uh, really cultivate some of the skills that I had. Um, I want to talk about WordPress, which is really well known. Um, I also want to talk about Facebook. I know. And then I want to talk about something called Snap Pages. So just bear with me here. This is a little bit more uh, resource information. But we realized that students could be using tools that they take into the future. I used these tools when I was in high school, and I still continue to use them today, as I said. And moving towards embracing some of these tools, whether it's social media, a website creator, or just something that helps students innovate in the classroom, it shouldn't just be about using it for that semester. They should want to continue using it throughout the rest of their curricular career or in their regular life, whether it's business or just a hobby. So the reason I want to talk about WordPress today is because I feel like a lot of people think it's really daunting. And if you don't feel that way, maybe you also think that it's something that is just sort of hard to implement. But I just want to say for $38 a year, and that includes hosting, any additional setup that you want to do, including buying a domain name, and WordPress, which is free, can be a part of a huge classroom project and can be integrated as something that allows your students to make updates, personal pages, keep track of projects, and basically keep their entire year together all in one place. I know so many of you teachers are already doing this, but I really want to bring the spotlight to WordPress because I feel like it's underused in this area. But a lot of people don't like WordPress, and I understand that. So something that I wanted to talk about was a resource I found called Snap Pages. And does anyone in here know about Snap Pages already? One? Cool. So I feel good about some of the resources we're sharing because they're new to us as well, and so it's fun to explore some of these with the rest of you. But Snap Pages is basically your typical drag and drop, except it looks really nice. Isn't that something that we always try to strive for? We want something that's free. We want something that can be used in the classroom, but oftentimes it doesn't even look that great. I know that I used a service three years ago that I spent probably 50 hours in a week just trying to get certain elements of it to align correctly, and it just wasn't happening. So it's just really pleasing to me that there are apps out there and websites out there that allow you to experience some of these things and use resources that are typically very easy to use. <coughs> and finally, I want to talk about what Facebook can do. Um, I know social media is a really touchy issue in the classroom still, and I want to talk about the fact that even if that's the case, we should be teaching the students. We should be teaching students the skills that they gain by using social media. Social media encourages the use of marketing skills, the encouragement of promotion skills, and the ability to simply network with other people. If we can create these skills in the classroom today, we can create an opportunity for students who want to create business models later in their lives. And this isn't just something that is a mild passion of mine. This is something that I feel like could be implemented today and benefit students 
I mean, benefit students in the very near future, tomorrow even, because you can spend two hours on a social media website trying to promote an idea and learn more about its potential than you would by making a status update about how you burn your tongue. I'm guilty of that. I just did that the other day. So, you should put it simply, without Facebook, open world would be an impossibility. Uh, right. When we raised... Uh, you know, $5,007 in phase one. We got donations from all over the United States. Facebook groups um, are creating Facebook pages allowed us to reach a wider audience than we could have had we not relied on these tools. But we realized that not every classroom is the same. And that's why we didn't try to give you a whole laundry list of applications or websites because we know not all of them work. We hope that by providing some resources that it sparks some inspiration for looking at new ones. And so we wanted to introduce another story uh, and get away from the informational stuff. Uh, this happened actually very recently, and when we were making this consideration of every classroom being pretty different, we wondered, or we considered the fact that most people are wondering how can my classroom get involved with a similar project like Open World when we collaborated with Tim here in the sixth grade classroom. And the answer to this question is yes, you can get involved, and we have a story to share with you today about that experience. Okay, so Wendy Pillars third grade teacher at a Title I school got in contact with Govinda about a few months ago and decided that she wanted to travel out to the staff school. She had an initial hesitation about sharing this uh, about sharing this story with her students just because she wasn't sure about whether uh, she didn't want to put any pressure on her students for fundraising. She didn't want to put any pressure on her students whatsoever. So what, it, what eventually happened though is that she decided about, oh, about a month before she was going to leave, she was going to explain to her students where she was going, why she was leaving, and why it was important to her. And she said she was absolutely amazed because her students throughout that entire class period asked, what can we do to help? What can we do to raise money for these students? How can we help these students all around the world? And so Wendy decided, well, if, you know, if they're interested, maybe there is something we can do. So what happened is that the students ended up taking the wheel from Wendy. They, by themselves, as third graders, contacted the fifth graders who were in charge of creating the school messages, the school videos every day, and asked if they could create a skit for a fundraiser for the staff students. They created a skit, and in this skit, they actually encouraged their students to not spend money on snacks and other, meat, uh, and other things they called meaningless, and said that we could actually put this money to something that matters so that these students could, uh, so that we could help these students halfway around the world. These students also took the initiative and actually asked the vice principal if they could have uh, a stand on the cultural awareness night that their school was hosting. And, um, and throughout, throughout their goal, they set this long-term goal of doing $200, uh, raising $200 by the end of the year. Wendy was worried. She thought, you know, maybe I should prepare them in case they don't quite reach their goal. By just in a few weeks before the year was even over, they had raised $248 uh, for a program that they had uh, decided to start with Govinda that will allow pre-K students to attend the SAF school next year. These were students. Uh, these are students from a Title I school. All many of them who have a, impoverished backgrounds who found a way to cause this huge, wonderful change for the staff students. A couple of quotes by Wendy that really stood out to us: "Her students are students who receive free lunch. I can't ask them to raise any money, yet they had the idea within themselves burning brightly. My support was all that they needed." We feel like this really speaks to the power of just introducing new projects to students and not just the standard, uh, you know, easy A or not just the standard get a grade. I mean, she introduced something to her students even after hesitation and they ran with it. So we were just really moved by that. And so we wanted to introduce some concepts of, you know, where do you begin? We didn't even know where to begin. And so there's some, there's some real potentials here. Uh, even if you have to start small, even if you have to start with a little fundraising project that's done as a group of students who can help put that towards, you know, part, part of the semester so that they can get something new to work with during the semester or maybe 
buy an app that they didn't have before, just small projects that allow them to create real-world learning opportunities that involve collaboration and real learning could be uh, absolutely meaningful and honestly invaluable as the, as the future approaches. Uh, basically, in our experiences, the community gets behind you. Uh, Kim Heron had, a open, had an open house day for her students and what her, for, for various projects that her students did throughout the year. The open world stand was packed. Uh, the Bueller community got behind us when we when this was initially a high school project, and we always see an outpouring community uh, community involvement when projects like this are started. Easiest thing we can consider if you're looking for startup money, if you don't have if you don't have quite the money from your district to start a project like this, DoSomething.org gives out $500 seed grants every day for student-led projects. Um, they've given out two million dollars already, and also say that they love receiving every application or every single application and um, said to apply uh, to apply early and often is one of the things they told me when I talked to a representative from do something a while back so that's where we would encourage our first and probably maybe the most easiest resource to go to online if you're looking for a resource to raise money uh, another just quick note about do something they also do $10,000 grants and $100,000 prizes for projects that really impress them this is something that we would like to be involved in more and so we just feel like with opportunities like this, where even if it's just a $500 seed grant, the potentials are amazing. And so we just want to talk about, you know, as we wrap things up today, capitalizing on these opportunities. Uh, Wendy Pillars had another great quote in which she said, it made me wonder how many other missed chances have there been for me to nurture the best of who my kids are. And it it spoke to us so deeply that she considered, took a step back and wondered what projects she could have been doing all those years that really could have sparked their kids' imaginations and sparked or ignited a new motivation to learn. And so we basically wanted to introduce the idea of what projects can be introduced that your students can take charge of. And basically, what can you do to make learning a reality and how can we make students learn how to learn? We think this is a really powerful message and something that would create an extraordinary opportunity for new developments in the educational realm. Um, and we never stop believing that education was a revolution, like I said early on. Um, a, snap, a snapshot of tomorrow's world is very different than it is today. We have a belief that what education can be is that, what, that students... Um, that one day education is going to center around these projects not being student-led. The student isn't going to have to take this initiative and oftentimes have to fight against their school. These projects can be introduced in their schools and can have real-world effects that can allow them to get have job opportunities, be open to job opportunities, and also give them the consciousness they need so they don't limit themselves of job opportunities in the future. That is our dream, and we would love to partner with each and every one of you who are interested. And um, really, and even if you don't want to go through Open World, if you have any questions on how to start starting up a project like this, we would love to. We would love to hear them. Uh, we just want to take the time again to say thank you for attending this today. We had to squash a lot of information into this session, and I. I I feel like we jumped around a little bit, but I hope it was beneficial for all of you. We're, we feel blessed to be able to come here and share much of what we learned and much of what we don't know yet. And so, again, just thank you all for attending. If you have any questions for us, we're going to be here. We love answering questions, and honestly, that's probably what we spend most of our time doing. If Ben and I are busy, you can come talk to Nikki over here. She's great at answering questions, oftentimes better than we are. Maggie's pretty good at answering some questions, too. But overall, we just really, again, appreciate your time today. Uh, thank you for coming.